Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of Slaytanic Bearcast. And do you forget it? I'm Mo from France, and to me west, I in faggots and pies, it's Dr. Lee Questions. I've been here, Doc, my old mucker. <laughs> sand, sand, mate. Boston, I am. Boston. Getting some, oh, getting some Boston fettle down my face. Where been you? Where been you, man? The Heath, where'd you think? Beneath. The Heath. Where else you get fa- where, where else you get the, the Boston faggots and pays from, eh? Oh, yeah, Danny, eh? Yeah, I've been down the shop, but Boston fakes. Being down that butcher eye out. Tell you what, I was on that train. I was on that train tonight, I was. And I said this woman. I said, I, 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 I says woman. It looks like an woman. It looks like an woman, I sure. Was it one an oss? A were an oss. <laughs> a were an oss. In fact, I was says, between her and her mates, I don't know which one was an oss and which one was a whammel. That's what I says. And her mate, her mate comes out and her starts to say, Ah, oh, well, this is my kitchen here, and I got my unit, and I got my pawn and my walk and all my bits of tat. And the other woman says, Ah, oh, I see it. Ah, oh, see it. It's a proper, it's a proper mess, I eat. And the first woman, the first woman her comes out with, Dowie, I'll be saying that about my ass. I see you, and of course, say that to you. Of course, say that to you. I never said it to me. Uh, uh, these, these these two women, they they they, they was joining on it. Do you put up with it? I won't. I won't put up with it. Do you put up with it? <laughs> well, it's it's like I was down the shop. I was down the shop near on a year a year ago and all. And there was this woman in there and all. And her was talking about that coronavirus her was. Oh, well. And her was, say, was saying to that bloke, what, 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 what kept the chap? Her was saying, my old mon, he come in without a bag over his head, he did. And I says to him about that coronavirus. And what I said, I says to him, I ain't having it in my ass. I says, no, I ain't having it. And I never. Don't ask you now, Doc. Don't ask you now. Welcome, people. Welcome, people, to episode fifty-seven of Slaytanic Vercast. Um, I don't know why. I just felt like speaking a bit of Black Country Day. I um, <laughs> every so often I'll drop a bit in, but I just thought it'd be fun uh, for me and the doctor to riff in a bit of a bit of proper Black Country spike. Day or doc. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, because I, I, I take the train, like, starting off in Hockley, and then um, I pass through Blackheath and Cradley Heath, and then uh, then, then it goes up, goes whoop the lie. Oh. Uh, as I'm on the way back warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, I've lived in the Black Country now for, you know, some time, and and it, my heart sometimes pines for it. So, to, you know, just, just to have a bit of proper Black Country spike, I thought would be a nice a nice little introduction. Um, how you doing, Doc? Jim, well, legitimately, how you doing? I'm fine. Um, so the cold snap caught me out for a little while, yeah. um, and I, I made the mistake of going out on Monday morning, and I thought I was prepared, and I wasn't prepared nearly enough, and I, I, I got a bit cold, and I thought to myself, you know, 
Um, there are people in parts of the world that, that there are people in Copenhagen and, um, uh, you know, um, I suppose Vancouver or somewhere like that, um, who would regard this weather as positively tropical. Sure. So stop complaining. Yeah, correct. Yeah. One of the drivers at work spun a van off the, um, off the road in, 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 into, into a hedge, basically, be just got to hit some ice and, you know, the, the, the van skidded off the road, smashed into some hedges. It, luckily, he was fine, but the van was was pretty much totaled, Doc. So, yeah, there, there are repercussions. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it takes a lot to total a modern van, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it was, I think the back end, from his description, it, it, the ice was on, was on a bend in the road and he literally did span it. Like seven, not seven twenty. What would it be three sixty plus five forty? Five forty. Yeah. So look, on that second one eighty, the back end smacked into a tree basically, and just, and just nailed it. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Wow. Yeah. Bye bye van. Um, yeah, but he's not in any trouble, of course. You know, because nothing he could do about it. Um, no video game update this time. Dark. I'm still plugging away. Mafia and uh, Crash Bandicoot One, so more soon, hopefully. I'm, I'm kind of getting towards the end of Crash Bandicoot. I, I think I'm probably kind of skill levels permitting, maybe three or four hours away from plucking that always desirable platinum trophy from it. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe that, but the last three or four levels are pretty tough, so we'll see how that goes. Um, what we've been, what we've been listening to, Doc. Right. Inspired by you attempting to inspire me to listen to Perturbator last week, I decided to prime myself. Um, and this afternoon, in fact, I was listening to, um, I'm pretty sure I've got the pronunciation of this, maybe a little bit correct, um, Sinoya Caves. So I've been listening to the soundtrack album for um, the film Beyond the Black Rainbow. Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurial Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. I watched that roughly yeah nine or twelve months ago yeah absolutely bonkers doc as you as expected one of my favorite films of the last I was going to say 10 but actually I'm not even sure it's that young so to be safe I'll say one of my favorite films of the last 15 years Fair enough. yeah um what I like about it and the soundtrack so much is that it's not just retro and nostalgic so I, tell me if i've got this right when when you were attempting to describe perturbator to me um and you basically said like what the soundtrack to stranger things should have been like 
I've come to a conclusion about Beyond the Black Rainbow and why I like it so much. It's, it's not just a retro artifact. In fact, when you watch it, the style of cinematography and the obvious use of very 21st century video and very 21st century editing, it doesn't look retro fetishistic at all. What it makes you think of is a film that you vaguely half remember from about 1983. Well, I think when these people do this stuff successfully, I think when, you know, when like the retro kids go and kind of retro stuff up, if they do it correctly, what they do is effectively transport themselves through time. Um, so they, you know, they, they recreate something that could very, very easily plug into that particular period and nobody would bat an eyelid. Um, I think when it fails, it's when it's kind of obvious and flagging itself up as kind of retro and homageist. Yeah, um, and it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And, and almost equally, I mean, if I could describe it, then I could do it. Stranger Things, I mean, there's, there's a lot to admire about that programme. There's, there's a, a lot which I admire about it. attention to period detail um, is absolutely unbelievable. Mm. I can't believe that they took that much effort in tiny things. Uh, mm. I mean, just stuff like getting the exact make and model of the camera correct. Mm. Um, and uh, But it still never leaves you with the feeling that it's an artefact from the era that they want to connote. Beyond the Black Rainbow doesn't feel remotely like anything like when you watch it, it doesn't look like anything that would have been out in 1983. But it's got, these aren't my words, I must have read this somewhere. It's the kind of movie you always imagined in your head from looking at like the back of video box covers in the video store um, of things like, um, oh God, uh, what's the, what's the film that we, quite literally lusted after trying to see when we were like kind of too young to rent it. Um, it's, uh, you, you help me out here. What's the one I'm talking about? I need some proof of um, Well, the back of the box cover just promises tits and gore. Um, I mean, we're not talking uh, about tits and gore. Tits and gore. They're just too, so many to choose from. Um, <laughs> Um, and sort of futuristic science fiction and reptile monsters and oh, um, no no no, no 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 I'm getting nowhere doc but th th this is one for chat time next time when, when you've processed yeah um, but when you used to like clasp that video box cover in your hand and you knew perfectly well the man would not allow you to rent it no, it's it, it, not like a trauma film is it like a swamp thing or 
you know, like Revenge of, not Revenge of the Nerds. What's, what, what, what's the other one? The Class of New Class of Newcomb High. No, it's, like. it's it's nothing. It's nothing that self. I, I mean, um, trauma films were self-conscious retro crap before that was even a thing. Yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah because they, and, they, and they were so close to the time that they were kind of retroifying. Yeah. Um, no, it was a. Um, I mean, in as much as it was like clearly a very very trashy movie it was still a perfectly serious movie it was it was taking itself seriously there was nothing remotely prodigal about it but it was just one of those absolutely dazzling video boxes mm. um i don't even know if i ever got round to seeing the film but i, I just mm. remember clasping the video box and in the top left hand corner um breasts were there and in the top right hand corner there was a guy with a, there was an exploding head <laughs> and in the bottom left hand corner there was like a hybrid human lizard insect thing and in the bottom right hand corner there was a mushroom cloud and it's just like i must see this i need to see this movie my, my life will never be complete until i've seen this movie i really should know i don't i don't unfortunately i don't know it yeah. Um, I mean, tits, gore, mutants, and nukes. Like, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The, 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 that's a great night out, isn't it, basically? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Go on, Doc. Um, how how's this tying to what, what, what you're listening to? Um, well, that's it. So, um, Beyond the Black Rainbow uh, and its soundtrack, they don't sound like anything that would have existed in the year 1983. Mm. Um, apart from some of the instruments, the techniques and stuff like that involved, what they do is to suggest the possibility of there being a future. And I, I had a bit of a revelation on the train coming home, and it's my problem with, like, warm-over retro culture, um, which is not only does it fail to provide the future that we were promised and we never got, um, it's almost kind of rubbing your nose in the fact that you will never get that future now. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't bespeak of any possible, it doesn't bespeak of any future at all. It certainly doesn't bespeak of possibility. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you slightly, Doc. You know, the, the, the Black Rainbow movie, I think... If you if you had shown me that and told me nothing about it, and I did not look it up online, if you said to me, "No, you've got to watch this film. This is the only known collaboration between Ken Russell and Lamberto Barba," I would have fucking believed you, Doc. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, um, I would have believed you. Um, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, I know you're always very, very honest about your emotions. Mm. I, I, I'm delighted to hear um, that it would have fooled someone as discerning as you. Um, I never had the chance to watch it without knowing what it was and when it was made and by who. Um, mm. It was made by the chap whose dad directed Rambo, so you mm. can't get much more early 80s exploitation credentials than that now, can you? Ah. No, but, you know, I, I went into that film, the only thing I knew was that you liked it and that it, and that it was made in the last 10 years, yeah? Sure. So I kind of knew, I, I knew, I, I could timestamp it. 
if I hadn't had that information, I would have totally bought that that was some kind of early to mid 80s proper kind of out there, out there shizzle, basically. I mean, that's great to know. Um, what do you make of my point that, like, that film, what sets it apart from other films that try, or other stuff that tries to be retro? When it finishes, it's still got the realms of possibility mm-hmm. at the end of it. It hasn't foreclosed anything. Mm-hmm. It hasn't. Um, what I, one of the reasons Stranger Things ended up leaving a nasty taste in my mouth is I got the nasty feeling it was trying to foreclose on, and it's like, there you go, we've done that now. Um, now we've had the definitive word. We've had the definitive word on all of this stuff, and you can't have it anymore. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's just like territorial pissing, isn't it, basically, Doc? Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, am I um, am I alone in feeling that? Am I making it up? Am I being misanthropic and not and completely misunderstanding what the program makers are going for? Well, I think it would be very tough now for you know a different show to come along set in that time period with that kind of aesthetic and not be compared to it but that's always true isn't it so i i don't imagine that the people that made stranger things sat down and thought right what we're going to do we're going to put our fucking flag in the ground and and take ownership of, of this thing i think they just wanted to make something like that and they wanted to make the best thing possible and if the consequence of that is that nobody can copy it because they've made the definitive version, well, they've done a really good job, haven't they? Um, I, don't, I think it's very, very far from being the definitive. But I, um, I, I think it's a good iteration of that thing. Um, I really resent the fact that they appear to have wanted to territorialise it. Mm. Um, they want- Where's that coming from, the Doc? What makes you think that they wanted to? You know what I mean? You're asking me to identify the um, uh, the difference between um, intent and outcome, aren't you? Well, um, I'm asking you to, to 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 explain, you know, kind of how 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 you know that that was their intent. Obviously, I don't know that that was their intent, but I am saying that that was their outcome. I agree. I I agree that that's the the the, the outcome socially. You know, because the program they've made has been so kind of hyped up to the nines. I think I think one of the reasons for that, by the way, Doc, is Stranger Things was one of the first original Netflix shows, kind of post the initial kind of wave of Marvel shit that they were putting out. Right. Um, and, 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 and so for, for Netflix, it was like a like a real tentpole thing they were pushing big time. I tell you what, it it makes me think of. It makes me think of the way that it sort of colonial era explorers would go into some part of the world to do some archaeology. Um, And they weren't content to like look at the tombs. Um, They had to take all the artifacts. They they, they couldn't just look at the tombs and draw them or photograph Mm. them um, and then leave them there for other people. They had to dismantle them and take all the stuff away. Yeah, Um, I keep hearing all of this kind of lefty nonsense about this. And, And just the other day, I was standing next to Cleopatra's Needle and dot, dot, dot. That's a joke, dot, by the way. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <There> we go. <laughs> um, I, once again, I don't know whether it was the intention of those people to ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. For the future. But once you've opened the tomb and taken all the artifacts away 
um, and um, then made a historical site. You've you've completely foreclosed on anyone else being able to do that ever yeah. again. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fair point. Uh-huh. Um, I suppose, I suppose um, the difference is if you steal an artifact from a place in Africa and, and, and kind of bring it back to Blighty, preventing anybody else from doing that or, or anybody in that locality from enjoying that particular artifact, you know, that's one thing. But if you make a TV show, that does not prevent another person from making a, a different TV show. No, it's not nearly as disruptive, um, and arguably it's not nearly as culturally harmful either. Um, I am, of course, aware of the case that, let's say, with the recent round of mild aggro in Syria, um, there are many, many historical artefacts which, as of the year 2019, um, are only preserved at all because wicked, wicked colonialists carried them away and stored them in their uh, foreign museums. Mm-hmm. And if the wicked, wicked colonialists hadn't done that, then ISIS would have shot them all to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so just letting everyone know I am capable of keeping balance on this. Ah. Um, no. Um, making a TV show doesn't foreclose the possibility of anyone making a TV show. Um, but it has... A, I do think there's a finite amount of resource in something like that which is reduced by expenditure. Mm. Um, I suppose my point would be, you know, those guys, I, I, can't, remember the, I can't remember the name, so it's the Something Brothers, is it like the Duca Brothers, something like that, that made Stranger Things? Like yeah. Something like that, isn't it? Um, and, <clears throat> you know, they had a vision, and they, um, you know, they wrote their show, they they, 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 they they set out with a vision and, and it seems to me they accomplished their vision whether you like it or not that's totally subjective that's fine um, but that does not prevent somebody else looking at it and going well that's brilliant what I'm going to do is do something even better you know is, isn't raising the bar always a good thing Doc? I don't think I'm explaining myself very clearly here um I'm not even convinced I've explained it to myself very clearly. What it comes down to is not just using up a resource, so there's no more of that. Um, An even more pompous and overblown um, analogy would be like using up all of the crude oil, so there'll never be any more crude oil ever again. Um, And obviously that analogy falls down because you don't use up television. Beyond the Black Rainbow, never attempted to pillage the past. It never attempted to steal or borrow or copy anything. What it attempted to do was to examine the processes that enabled something like phantasm,
something like um, 2001. in the first place and continue those processes mm-hmm. um, and um, there's a limited amount of time that well a limited number of times that you can mine resources but there is no limit to the amount of time that you can use processes um, how does this analogy go there is a limited amount of coal there is a limited amount of resource but the process of lighting a fire there's no limit to that sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the possibility is endless, but maybe the resource is not. Yeah. Um, and what concerns me about, and I, I'm, I'm picking unfairly on Stranger Things. I quite liked what, I, no, I, I did like Stranger Things. I thought it was over long and ran out of steam at the end and had a shitty ending. But then you could say that about real, actual early 80s Stephen King, too. Mm-hmm. And once again, I've got no idea what the intent of those people. Um, it's very, very likely, and I think this is most possible, that those people spotted a resource that appeared to be discarded and abandoned and thought, well, nobody else wants this stuff. We'll do something with it. Um, and no one's even going to care if we use it all up. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's been abandoned there at the side of the road for this last 30 years. Clearly, nobody wants it. I'm, I'm, I think we need to kind of wrap this section up, Doc. Um, I'm just going to end with a, a recommendation for you. If you, you, know, do you, as I know you are, you're interested in, in cinema that kind of explores the origins of cinema uh, beyond the Black Rainbow. Certainly was was doing that. I thought I thought it was magnificent, by the way. Um, and I, to this day, I think about it occasionally. Some of the just absolutely kind of out there bonkers imagery that it that it burnt into my brain. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend to you that your homework um, at some point in the next month or so um, is to watch uh, Barbarian Sound Studio. Excuse me, do you speak? No. A new world of sound awaits here. A new world that requires all your magic powers. Oh, grazie. Crazy man. <laughs> I didn't quite know I'd be working on this sort of film. What did you expect? What's he doing to her? <laughs> I've never worked on a horror film before. Horror film? This is a Santini film. Don't call my film horror again. This is going to be a fantastic film. Brutal and honest. Do you know anything about it? No. no so um, 
It's kind of a similar kind of thing, and it's 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 taking the world of giallo and exploring the foley artistry of it oh, in, in the guise of a horror movie. It's fucking brilliant, Doc. How very interesting. And very interesting, yeah. Barbarian Sound Studio. That's your homework, Doc, at some point. Um, I'm going to save what I've been listening to for next week because we, 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 we ran dead long there. And we've, we've obviously, we, we, we've, we've got a track to talk about. And we've also got some chow time, by the way, motherfuckers. Um, here we go. We've got one, two, three, four, five to go through. Um, last time out, Doc, we were talking or, or pondering, postulating, wondering if anything on South of Heaven was as fast as Spirit in Black. You know what we forgot, don't you? Your favourite, Silent Scream. Get out of here, Doc. Would you say that's faster? Oh, I would say, yes, I would. Beats per minute, I think that's a faster tune. Um, Good Lord. Wouldn't wouldn't disagree with you for a second. Wouldn't disagree with you even for one second. Um, I'm just a little bit surprised. Yeah, dead, dead quick. Um, I mentioned that Dead Skin Mask and South of Heaven share the first eight notes. They do not. They share the first four notes, Doc. Um, <laughs> the point still stands. It's the you know the the the, the melody begins in an identical fashion, um, and then the transition in terms of mood is quite quite extraordinary um i'll put this in chow time even though it, 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 it's really more of a discussion point really at the end of dead skin mask i, I just forgot to mention this really and I, and I wanted to bring it up because i won't have another opportunity at the end of the, at the end of the song you've got like the the child's voice say mr Gein, you, you know yes yeah mr Gein. why is that doc because at no point in any of my reading, is there any suggestion that he kidnapped children? So why are they um, using a child's voice? He didn't. Um, his brother went missing right. um, at some point when they were quite young. Um, and he his body turned up later, um, having died for some reason um, mm. in a field fire. Mm-hmm. Um, now... If I've got this right, these are controlled burns that are done in corn country all over the world, not unique to the US or any other part of the US. Um, and they're to, to burn off stubble um, because stubble is um, a place of concealment for vermin that harm next year's crop. Um, so after the harvest, the, uh, the stubble is often burned off. Ed Gein's brother was found dead after one of these burnings, I do believe. Um, and once again, small town gossip, um, none of this stuff can be trusted, but he had apparently been, the brother had apparently been heard saying things loudly in public that were disrespectful to their mom. Right. Um, and you don't go disrespecting Ed Gein's mom when Ed can hear you. No, certainly not. Yeah. So you think that's the explanation? Yes. Fair enough, Doc. Good, good to know. Um, I said that... Well, you asked me about other tracks that, you know, that Slayer have done about serial killers. And, and we were trying to remember, and I mentioned that maybe Cult might be one of them. It, it's definitely not. And, you know, for fear of spoilers, I'll, we'll talk about that when we get there, pretty much. Um, but I think it, 
might not be quite as obvious as the title suggests, but it is definitely not about serial killers, Doctor. So no, I was wrong there. Um, and the last one, um, in the Hallowed Point episode, we couldn't remember the origin of the phrase, I fart in your general direction. Well, yeah. I remembered. It's Blackadder, isn't it? It's actually Monty Python, Doc. Oh, yes. blimey. Yeah, it's Monty Python. Mistake upon mistake upon mistake. I know. It's Monty Python. It's from the movie The Holy Grail. And here, dear listener, it is. I don't want to talk to you no more, you empty-headed animal food trough whopper. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. Is there someone else up there we could talk to? No, now go away or I shall taunt you a second time. Yeah, did, did I forget or did I not know? Because I must be honest, Doc, I am not a Monty Python fan. I don't know about you. Um, it's one of those things I always chalk up as legendary but pitifully inconsistent. Yeah. So I think it's, um, it's, it's the napalm death of comedy, isn't it? Mm. Um, you can appreciate it for what it did to kick over so many barriers and how original it was and how groundbreaking it was. Mm-hmm. But actually, in the cold light of day, not much of it is very good. It, 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 it's, it's, it's like Lenny Bruce, isn't it? You know, I've, I've gone back and listened to a bunch of Lenny Bruce. I find it unlistenable dirge, but historically so, so important. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, in my, uh, about one-tenth of the running time of Monty Python's Flying Circus actually sort of stands the, te- stands the test of time, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Listen, Doc, we, we're already at the half-hour mark, so I, I reckon we, 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 we drop the topic, to be honest, because we obviously we've got to listen to the track, and we've got a hell of a long um, lyric section, I think, because, my God... They wrote some words for this one, didn't they? So, um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I reckon we just dive straight in. What do you reckon, Doc? Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Bearcast or an email at slatanicbearcast.gmail.com. Let's move on with the show. <laughs> Welcome to part two of the show. Here we're just going to play the track, pause it from time to time, and chat about it. Of course, today's track is track seven, is it, Doc? Track seven. Um, from Seasons in the Abyss, which is Skeletons of Society. Here we go. It's boring. It's so slow. It is boring. Um, I find the naivety of this introduction absolutely charming. Um, it's uh, it's been a little while, not so long. It's been a little while since we had like a a, a venomtastic riff from Slayer. Um, the naivety of that chord progression always makes me smile. The way they play a very simple riff four times, um, and then the whole riff moves up two semitones and then goes back down again. 
It goes from um, from memory. Forgive me, listener, if, if if I'm wrong. This is from memory. You play so that, that that's palm muted E, and then you hit right. the F, and you hit the F, and then you go up to then you go up to what would effectively be A, I think. So you, you're kind of on the fifth fret, and then, okay. and, then, and, then and then you go up to the sixth fret. It's it, it it's only four it's it's only four notes. But I just love the fact that it does the and then it moves the whole chord progression. Oh, yeah. The whole thing goes up. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing comes back down. Migrates up, up the guitar and then drops back down. Yeah, certainly true. It, it reminds me of when you're first fumbling about with your your instrument, um, and you know later on you realise that if only you'd taken like grade one piano or something when you were six years old. Um, you wouldn't have to figure all this stuff out by yourself and it would be like childishly. But the way that when you realise you can just slide a whole... Once you've mastered the bar chord with your forefinger, you can just slide a whole entire chord progression and play it anywhere on the neck. And you feel so fucking pleased with yourself when you've mastered that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, groove, Doc. I'm just, I'm just going to say the word groove and see, and see what you yeah. can It's definitely got... Um, it's definitely got a groove to it. Um, I think it's worth mentioning groove, not something that Slayer are well known for, um, as we're discovering a little unjustly, I think. Sure. Um, I think the most astonishing revelation was when we, and, and, and ironic choice of words, I suppose, was when we discovered that Jesus Saves had a bunch of fucking groove in it. Um, well, and Angel of Death. There you go. Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, um, at least one, at least one out of two songs about possibly the least funky topic known to humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that they've they've got some stuff to roll on in there. Mm -hmm. should, should we press on? See what happens next. Yeah. Experimentation here, Doc. Um, we detect many things. Yeah. Um, we'll get back to the experimentation in a bit. Mm -hmm. um, what I detect is the correct way to do a couple of things they tried and failed to do on the previous album. Mm -hmm. Which track was it that we said was like their well-intentioned but ultimately failed attempt to do like a, a one-chord Stooges drone yeah that was um oh uh, yeah that, that that's either i think that's spill the blood it's, yeah it's either cleanse the soul or spill the blood yeah one, one of those two so in other words um pick pick a two chord riff 
um, and just play it and just repeat it all the way through. Yeah. They tried it before and failed pretty badly. Um, and then which was the, 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 there may even have been two of these, I think there were two, where they tried and failed to do a slayerized version of real American rock and roll. Yeah, that was, that. yeah, that, that was, um, oh, well, that was behind the crooked cross, wasn't it? Which, which made me so, yeah. so, so angry, made me so cross, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so two things they tried and failed at on the previous album, and they've tried again, and they've got it right this time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that, is there? You know, the, 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 they had a go. They liked the idea of it. It didn't quite work. And so they went away and thought about it and came back and did it better. That's what you want, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, evolution, basically. Yeah. So um, I just really wanted to say that. Two things they tried before and failed at, and they've got them right this time. Well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, seriously. Absolutely correct. Um, what about the experimentation, Doc? Right. So this is kind of... I was going to say it's it's another one of those proto-morbid angels, but I don't think it's proto-morbid angel because I think we're very much in the era of Altars of Madness era morbid angel now, aren't we? Alters of Madness. You vamp for me, Doc, and I'll go and have a butcher's on um, Encyclopedia McCallum. You, you chat away, and I'll come back and confirm very shortly. Listeners, this stuff is kind of... Um, I wasn't listening to it long after it came out, but I, I didn't listen to any of this stuff when it came out. I always... I can never get away in my mind the idea that Death Metal and Morbid Angel's first album happened in the same year, and that was the end of 1989, Oblique Stroke, the beginning of 1990. And I always feel as though this album should have happened then or shortly afterwards. And now I expect Mo's going to correct me. No, no, no you're absolutely spot on, Doc. Awesome Madness was September 1989, and this album was September, I believe, 1990. So, yeah. We're smack in the middle of it all. So we're definitely... Um, Alters of Madness, of course, like dropped a bomb in the world of metal when it came out. Um, it didn't last for long, um, but it, it dropped an absolute bomb and I, I, I think became very influential very quickly. And I think we've definitely got some Trey Azagthoth tribute moments in this track, haven't we? Well, you hear those kind of like wailing guitars in the background and you can't help but think of something like, like Fall From Grace or Abominations yep. from Blessed Odyssey. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so let's have a think about this. Was it something in the water? Was it another influence that neither of us are aware of? Um, or is it Slayer um, like giving a bit of a shout out to the ambitious new kids on the block? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
are you, are you suggesting that, that that they heard um altars of madness and kind of decided to send a message oh yeah, yeah yeah we can do that too i don't even think it has to be that cynical i, I mean um i think if you're if you're a name band um one thing that's likely to happen is somebody will share a demo tape with you and you know like um here's this demo tape from this band like here's here's the first studio outtakes from this band and they're going to blow up big next year mm-hmm. um you need to hear this because this shit's really cool yeah um yeah. and likely you go yeah that shit's really cool um and we won't we won't so much send them a warning note or fire a shot across their bows um but you know, we'll stick our elbows into their ribs and they can stick their elbow their elbows into our ribs. Um, and we'll do something a bit like that as well. It, it, it's kind of what we were talking about in the in, in the intro section, that, that kind of, you know, look, you know, quality, begat big quality, doesn't it, basically? It just, yes. It raises the bar overall. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, we're in a period of history now where metal is changing so fast mm. and it's reinventing its... Um, I think of like these three years, um, this is the last, the last time in history that this really ever happened. I think you can tell what four months of what year any given metal album was recorded in. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, but between 1989, maybe 1988 and 1995, you know, the, the, the landscape of metal had changed beyond all recognition. Yeah, and I mean, we're not even talking about having to go to the deep, deep underground now. Um, I don't, I think I've probably got this. And Justice for All was the cutting edge of everything when it came out. short time later um altars of madness will say came out and made it sound prehistoric and uh, you know and and then we we haven't even touched on you know black metal emerging well once again that came out of absolutely nowhere no one saw it coming um certainly no one could guess at how these people who by any normal definitions, couldn't fucking play. And then the fusion of the two, which gave us melodic death metal, basically. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Um, Let's press on. Yeah. (laughs) 
another question, Doc. Name that solo. Um, an educated guess, I'm going to say Kerry King. Oh, it's a Hanneman. Oh, Doc, it's a Hanneman. Oh, no, no, no. This just gets funnier and funnier. Um, I feel cruel at, at this point, every time I ask the question. Um, no, you shouldn't, because I've gone through close reading, like what I know about the two techniques. I've tried blind guessing. <laughs> I've tried educated guessing. Um, and I find new ways to fail with every new technique I try to apply yeah. to the game. It's unbelievable. I would have, I, Doc, I'm with you. Gun to my head, I would have sworn blind. That must be Kerry King. Yeah. I'm with you, Doc. Totally agree. vocals with you know with, with that kind of extreme kind of reverb and effect on it doc are you okay with it a bit of stu studio trickery um <laughs> this is where i make a massive hypocrite of myself um yeah. i can talk about how i'm suspicious of studio trickery um but you you go slapping a bunch of effects on vocals and i'll, I'll probably love it mm -hmm. um I really, really like excessively reverbed vocals. Yeah, I love it. I think it's, it really kind of adds atmosphere. We, we kind of know what the lyrics are about, even before we get to the lyric section. And it just adds that kind of creep factor, doesn't it? So why not? Definitely. Mm -hmm. can't, can't do it live, though. Can, why can you not? Because Tom couldn't do both at the same time. Okay, right. So you, you, um, you're talking about the... Um, the fact of there being two vocal tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my, my, you know, maybe Kerry or Jeff could could deliver deliver the one line, but but Tom's delivering both, and of course he couldn't do that in reality. Um, if I were Slayer and I were faced with not being able to do this track live, I would ask a member of the of one of the support bands to do the spoken word part. Yeah, a fair point. And you know, right back in the day, do you remember? I think we were talking about maybe track two or three off Show No Mercy, and we were astonished to discover that either Jeff or Kerry actually did provide some backing vocals at one point. Yeah. Um, it's pretty... Slayer are pretty unique, are they not, um, for being like a band that have pretty much only ever had one vocalist. Mm -hmm. um, I, I struggle to think of a band where no other member of the band does a tiny bit of backing vocals or something mm. like that. Mm. No, you're right. You know, I can't think of a single one apart from these guys. Yep. Yep. Tom's the guy. On the, uh, Tom's the guy on the mic. I'm Tom. I'm Tom Araya. I'm doing the singing. Now get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs>
Here we go. Jeff all the way through. It was not Jeff all the way through. Now, there were two solos. It was one of them Jeff. Promise me one of them was Jeff. Well, well there were two solos, so one must be Jeff. <laughs> Mate, I'm doing so badly at this game now, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if you'd have said, yes, there were two solos, and neither of them were Jeff. <laughs> Dave Lombardo played one of them. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah. So the first, the, the first solo we heard was, was Kerry... And then that transition, when it kind of hits the high note and he transitions in, that's Jeff kicking in. I said, oh, let's play the track out, Doc, because nothing really changes from here to the end. So let, let's just play the track out and enjoy the vibe. Here we go. That was track seven from Seasons in the Abyss, which was, of course, Skeletons of Society. Doc, I think it's a, it's, it's a rock-solid track, isn't it, Doc? No, nothing to complain about. What's your take? I'm going to end up liking this a bit more than you, mm. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so it continues the, the mid-pacey theme of the album in general. Um, I really, really was sorry that when they tried doing a one chord drone monster on their previous album, it didn't work very well. Sure. And they, their attempt on this album is a little less slavish um, and all the better for it. So they've clearly made peace with the fact that they're Slayer um, and they don't play acid rock. <laughs> um, and they're not even going to try. 
Um, but they're going to take that one thing and they're going to have a very simple riff with a very simple chord progression and just play it, but they're going to be uncompromising about the fact that they're Slayer. Mm-hmm. I think it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a question that I end up asking you quite a lot. How hard is it to actually play? It's dead easy. Oh, did, 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 solos aside, as ever, that's the caveat. Remove the solo. Yes. It's dead easy. It, 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 it is just a bunch of chugging. And then hit the odd power chord. No, it's not hard at all. I'll be honest with you, the timing sounds difficult to me. No, not really. Well, once you know it, you know it. Um, I mean, you know, it's one of those. Obviously, you've got to memorise it. But in terms of like the, the, the strum pattern, it's not a difficult strum pattern to hit. Even with even with the weird yeah. I I mean, I I think it's a great track. Um, I mean, in the past, particularly on this album, I felt really, really bad about going. It's a really good Slayer track. I think this is a great track. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a cracking riff. Um, I'm going to mention this part now and not in the lyric section, because I think it's to do with the music and not the words. Sure. I don't think I've ever hit here. I don't think I've ever heard Tom hit meter better in mm. his vocals before. Mm. Yeah, 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 I would agree. I, th- I think the vocal delivery suits the music absolutely on the fucking money. Um, you know, he, he, he really is nailing it in terms of how, you know, the, 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 the words are structured to, 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 to to marry perfectly with it with the actual rhythm of the riff. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it's great. Yeah, I, and, I really like. Part. Oh, sorry, Doc. I really like Tom's vocal delivery, by the way, because it is quite muted. Um, but again, it, it, unlike Sound of Heaven, it still has that kind of edge to it. So it's yeah. still nasty, but muted. If that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Um, they've obviously put a ton of effort into shaping the words, writing the words, rehearsing the vocal delivery to make the clipped nature of the vocals fit very, very closely the clipped nature of the riff. Um, There are no bits. There isn't even one bit in here where Tom is stumbling to get through all the words before the end of the line and then in the next line hanging out a note for longer than it needs to be hung out. No, or some kind of like weird mispronunciation just to make the word fit. But like ammunition yeah. or something like that, like we've we've heard before, you know. Yeah. Just to make it fit um, the meter. Is this the closest we've got? Well, it's definitely the closest we've got so far. Is this the closest we've ever got to a hip hop influence in Slayer? Well, I mean, I mean, certainly. I mean, you, you could fucking bounce to that to that rhythm, couldn't you? I mean, we 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 haven't mentioned Dave yet, you know, and and, and I think we have. I think the reason we haven't is because he's just like behind the drums, just fucking rock solid. And maybe that hip hop, that hip hop influence that he definitely has. You know, if, if you listen to look, his other projects, uh, Phantomus, Tomahawk, you know, he drops hip hop beats left, right, and centre in those bands. Um, so yeah, so, you know, so maybe, maybe that vibes there. And so he's just, you know, he's just he's just he's just rolled a fucking fat one, and he's just chilling out and letting letting the rest of the band get on with their fucking work. In which case, I, you having said that, I admire the fuck out of any band, particularly around 1990-ish, 
who can because hip-hop was the biggest thing in music in 1990 mm. and i'm full of admiration for any band who can take on board a hip-hop influence but not feel the need to rap no mm-hmm. yeah. um not feel the need to do it slavishly and rip off somebody else's and and, and you know um completely break their own style um could it, could it, it not be seems- that, Doc? Just by, by dint of the of the record label they're on, you know, maybe they were hanging out with a bunch of fucking hip hop guys, you know, and 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 that rubbed off, rubbed off, rubbed, rubbed off. I think it's distinctly possible. I mean, yeah. it, I, I I alluded to this a long time ago, but um, what kind of gets lost to history? I know they're on Deaf American now, um, but Deaf Jam was, it, you know, it, it was run and owned at least in part at least half by Russell Simmons but it was a black music label mm-hmm. um, it was a, it, 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 it was set up as a funk soul and hip-hop label um, and it was you know Rick, uh, Rick Rubin's sort of influence that brought Slayer on board there's no doubt um, you I don't think it would have been possible to have been close to New York or Los Angeles in 1990 and not heard a fucking shitload of hip-hop all over the place, particularly around the music industry. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, 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 that Kerry King, at least, appeared in two or three kind of rap-influenced music videos. He was certainly in a Suicidal Tendencies video. Uh-huh. Now, I know that's metal, kind of, but it's definitely kind of rap metal, isn't it? Well, um, it's you, you'd have called it street metal or skate metal in those days, wouldn't you? Right. Um, but 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 I'm pretty sure. Is Kerry King not in like a like a like an NWA or or Public Enemy video? Um, Kanye Solo. I've never. I, um, I don't know. Um, I'm pretty confident he isn't in an NWA video. Um, mm. The one place he might show up, he might be in the video for Fight the Power by Public Enemy, which is um, like a, a, a big street rally um, with a lot of people you feel like you recognise in it. I mean, that they're on the same record label. It's not out of the question that they might not have made a guest appearance on um, uh, in each other's videos. I think, I, I, I don't want to try and read too much into this or get too sociological about this, but I, I really want to make the point that I admire the fuck out of anyone who can make a song that goes, we know hip hop, we like hip hop, we want a bit of a hip hop influence in our record, uh, but that doesn't mean that we need to make a rap track and it doesn't mean we need to have a DJ and scratching noises. No, 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 no. you don't need to do bring the noise like Anthrax did, basically. Anything else to say here, Doc, on these on on the music, or, or should we get into the words? What do we, what do we think? Um, 
just an honourable mention um, for the solos, really. Um, I th- this this has ended up being one of my favourite Slayer solos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's established already that um, I admire different kinds of solos to you. I, um, I've moved on a bit from the days when the solos I admired the most were the ones that weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I've sort of managed to make a bit of a personal progression beyond that, that, that bit of bigotry nowadays. Um, but um, I still prefer the solos that tried their best to get as far away from shredding. Um, because the solos here are, are used simply for atmosphere, aren't they? You know, it, it, yeah. it, just, you know just, just to emphasise... The message of the song, basically, you know, you, you know, we 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 we're singing about a particularly grim situation, and our solos are going to to emphasize grim, but also kind of apocalyptic, fantastical, and epic, and our solos yeah. are going to be redolent of those factors, basically. Definitely, yeah. Um, that's all I've really got to say about the music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I like this song more than you think I do, Doc, actually, but we'll get to that at the end. Welcome to part three of the show, which we sometimes call Evil Speak. Here we're going to go through the lyrics and talk about them. Doc, I'll kick off. Seem like days since fire ruled the sky. The rich became the beggars and fools became the wise. Memories linger in my brain, burning from the acid rain, a pain I never have won. Nothing here remains, no future and no past. No one could foresee the end that came so fast. Hear the prophet make his guess that paradise lies to the west. So join his quest for the sun. There we go, Doc. That's kind of the first two verses, really. I've, I've, I've kind of whipped through those two verses, you know, just for just for necessity of time, really. But I think there, there's plenty to talk about here, Doc. Um, so uh, what do you think the song is about? Well, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, at surface level, this is some kind of post-apocalyptic situation when a nuclear war a a, a nuclear bomb has detonated somewhere um probably several and i think on at least a continental level i don't think it's not necessary that the world has been destroyed by nuclear conflict but 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 certainly i think this is i think we're talking continental level destruction here um you know, so so you've got nowhere to escape to, basically, and it's you know it's it's just about the the abject horror of you know the 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 poor bastards that actually survive, really, Doc. Yeah, 
Um, I just felt the need to ask that question because there are tiny little... I, I don't want to say that I can nail it down to anything as squarely as a nuclear war. Um, mm -hmm. It's an apocalyptic situation um, of certain description. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, whether it's a uh, ecological collapse or an asteroid um, or a literal, actual Book of Revelation biblical apocalypse. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. the, the reason um, I thought it might be something like an asteroid or some other um, astronomical extinction event um, is this line, um, no one could foresee the end that came so fast. In 1989, there was no possibility that nobody could foresee a nuclear war. Thrash metal bands did nothing but write songs about nuclear war. Everyone could foresee it. Yes, you're right, but, but and I picked up on that line too, no one could foresee, um, and I, I thought that was strange, but I think it's one of those things where, you know, for example, you know, most people get in their car every day and drive to work, but nobody foresees dying in a, in a fireball in a car crash. You know what I mean? It's clearly possible. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it, it's definitely a possibility, but we don't see it as part of our lives, basically. Yeah. Um, so here's another line that makes me think, uh, and this, this is a cock-obvious reference for me to, to draw out, yeah. um, and I'm hoping you'll disassemble for me in seconds. Um, that makes me think it's an ecological apocalypse, which is mm -hmm. memories linger in my brain of burning from the acid rain. Acid, acid rain isn't so much of a, a, a big topic in the go-around of environmentalism that we're going through at the moment, but it was in 1988. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the end of the world. I think there's enough evidence to suggest that it's a nuclear holocaust. I think there's enough evidence to suggest it's, a, it's an environmental holocaust. Sure. I think there's enough evidence to suggest that it's an ecological disaster and enough evidence to suggest that it's a biblical apocalypse. I think, I think that acid rain line suggests that this is a period well after the detonation. Um, right. So, you know, the, the, the bomb or the bombs have gone off. And, you know, the, 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 the ecological damage is catastrophic. And so the memory is of the period immediately in the aftermath of the, of the bomb. So kind of during the nuclear winter, effectively, when, you know, the, the, the I mean, you'll know this better than me, Doc, but, you know, I, I imagine that the chemistry of, the atmosphere changes significantly and this but this person can still remember it but that does not mean that the, 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 the catastrophe is still not ongoing um i have never heard anything to the effect that acid rain falls in the aftermath of a nuclear explosion um there's the the uh, the much vaunted um or much talked about black rain um that fell on nagasaki in sort of september and october um, and that was because uh, obviously that's that's monsoon season in that corner of the world. Yeah. Uh, sorry, ty uh, typhoon season. So you get big tropical storms that that, that come in from the Philippines, um, and you get lots of wind and lots of rain, and um, that just sort of leaches down um, all of the soot that's been blown into the atmosphere. That's 
that's not chemically harmful in itself. It, it, it's, it's, it's just soot. Um, we started this episode to, um, completely unintentionally um, doing our, our little exchange in black country accents. This part of the world is called the black country for a very good reason, because the, the rain used to come down black because of the soot and filth and pollution in the air. Sure. Um, I've never heard of a nuclear detonation causing acid rain. It causes fallout to fall, which is particles of dust that are radioactive and which are actually much more dangerous than radiation because radiation will just kill you. Radiation will just melt you. Um, fallout dust gets into your lungs and gives you cancer and obviously takes causes a much more drawn out and much more painful death. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, uh, acid rain, I, I, I've never heard of in the context of a, a, a nuclear detonation. Is it not possible, Doc, that both things are true? So they're talking about a, a world where some kind of climate catastrophe, you know, that reputedly we're kind of in the process of experiencing at the moment, it has, ha- has already happened. And then there is also some kind of nuclear, ta- nuclear attack. Right, we'll stay on that. Um, we're getting somewhere here. Memories linger in my brain of burning from the acid rain, of pain that I know. This is from the point of view of, of, of someone who was presi- probably even born after the nuclear war. And the only thing they know about acid rain um, is from stories they've heard. Oh, in the old days, we used to get acid rain. Um, and this, um, this guy is now in the position of thinking that like being lightly burned by acid rain that did nothing but make concrete decay more quickly um, would have been um, actually a really pleasant experience. Well, that, 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 we've already mentioned Monty Python. There is that great Monty Python sketch, isn't there? Where you, oh, you know, I used to work down the mines and oh, you know, oh for Yorkshire. Yeah, it, 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 it's that scene, yes. isn't it? You're talking about basically. yes. Very possible, this, eh? Very possible. Right. 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 Good glass of Chateau de Chatelier, eh, Josiah? Ah, you're right there, Obadiah. Right. Who would have thought, 30 years ago, we'd all be sitting here drinking Chateau de Chatelier, eh? Ah. <laughs> Them days, we're glad to have the price of a cup of tea. Right. A cup of cold tea. Huh? Without milk or sugar. Or tea. In a cracked cup and all. <laughs> oh, we never used to have a cup. We used to have to drink out of a roll-up newspaper. <laughs> the best we could manage was to suck on a piece of damp cloth. But, but you know, we were happy in those days, although we were poor. Because we were poor. Aye. My old dad used to say to me, money doesn't bring you happiness, son. He was right. Aye. I was happier then and I had nothing. We used to live in this tiny old tumble-down house with great big holes in the roof. <laughs> house? You were lucky to live in a house. We used to live in one room, all 26 of us, no furniture, half the floor was missing. We are all huddled together in one corner for fear of falling. Yeah. You were lucky to have a room. We used to have to live in the corridor. Oh, we used to dream of living in a corridor. <laughs> Would have been a palace to us. We used to live in an old water tank on a rubbish tip. We got woke up every morning by having a load of rotting fish dumped all over us. House... <laughs> Well, when I say house, it was just a hole in the ground covered by a sheet of tarpaulin, but it was a house to us. We were evicted from our hole in the ground. We had to go and live in a lake. 
You were lucky to have a lake. There were 150 of us living in a shoebox in the middle of the road. Cardboard box. Aye. You were lucky. We lived for three months in a rolled-up newspaper in a septic tank. You used to have to get up every morning at six o'clock and clean the newspaper, go to work down the mill, 14 hours a day, week in, week out, for six months a week. And when we got home, our dad would thrash us to sleep with his belt. Luxury. We used to have to get out of the lake at three o'clock in the morning, clean the lake, eat a handful of hot gravel, work 20 hours a day at mill for twopence a month, come home and dad would beat us around the head and neck with a broken bottle if we were lucky. Well, of course, we had it tough. We used to have to get up out of the shoebox in the middle of the night and lick the road clean with our tongues. We had to eat half a handful of freezing cold gravel, work 24 hours a day at mill for four months every six years, and when we got home, our dad would slice us in two with a bread knife. Right. I had to get up in the morning at 10 o'clock at night, half an hour before I went to bed, eat a lump of cold poison, work 29 hours a day down mill and pay mill owner for permission to come to work, and when we got home, our dad would kill us and dance about in our grave, singing hallelujah. Are oh. you try and tell the young people of today that? And they won't believe you. Oh, no, no, they won't. I didn't understand this last line. A pain I never have won. Won, Doc. Won what? Have never been... This is one of those odd conflations, isn't it? Um, so people will... Uh, people who've never served will often talk, talk about someone winning a decoration or a medal. Um, which is um, a very, very incorrect verb. Um, the correct verb is uh, being awarded. Um, in football commentary now, you'll hear this bloody stupid one where people say someone won a corner. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think there's this concept of the word won, I mean, getting something that you're entitled to. What earned, basically. Well, as a, as a sometime French speaker, it it is an understandable conflation because in French it's the same verb, gagner, means to earn and to win. Right. Here we go. Yeah. Um, would you happen to know um, when you receive a service award in the French military, um, is the appropriate verb for that gagner? I don't know. Don't know, but I would suspect. I would suspect yes, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this is one, meaning received something to which I am entitled or which mm-hmm. I deserve. Sure. Yeah, good point, Doc. Um, what about this second part? You know, from nothing here remains onwards. Um, and we get that, those last three lines. Hear the prophet make his guess that paradise lies to the west. So join his quest for the... I mean, this is Stephen King-level fucking epic, fantastical shit, isn't it, Doc? Well, um, let's get those first three lines out of the way first. Um, you'll often hear people talk about um, the the beginning of human civilization is the beginning of time. Um, that's when, um, and this this is in Greek mythology. This is in Sumerian mythology. The difference between primordial chaos and order um, is the beginning of time. So the sun rises and falls. Um, the seasons happen. The tide goes backwards and forwards. Um, and one assumes that characteristic of any apocalyptic event would be the death of time or the end of time. Um, if you've got a nuclear winter and you can't see the sun clearly anymore, um, you'd probably, like, 
human existence would probably do like an, an endless murky twilight. Mm-hmm. 7 p.m. forever, no, more, more, more like 5 a.m. forever. Yeah. One assumes that all of society has stopped functioning, so there's no good reason to be anywhere at any time. Crops don't grow anymore. There's nothing, there's, there's no difference between summer and winter. Mm-hmm. So all, all, all of your markers of time, um, the thing that separates civilization from chaos has gone away. Um, now let's get to those next few lines. Um, I'm going to turn you loose on this because you mentioned Stephen King. I can't think of any prophet in any religion um, who made a statement to the effect that, that, that paradise lies to the West. So do, do, you, do you want to take that one and run with it? I'm just imagining that Slayer are American. And, 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 and so you know, their worldview is the American continent. And so they're thinking that if you head west, basically, it kind of gets warmer. You know, you're more likely to, to find clement weather. Um, you know, um, so our, our protagonist here in the story is maybe in New York, you know, as the bomb detonates. And <clears throat> they're going to head west, man. You know, they're just going to go and, they, you know, they're going to get to... to you know, California gets San, San Francisco, gets a lot of San, I, I know that's also south as well, but but that doesn't just that doesn't scan quite so nicely, does it? Yeah, um, it's it's this use of the word prophet. So I mean, obviously in American mythology, um, most definitely paradise is considered to be to the west. Mm-hmm. Um, Europeans, for obvious reasons, made land, made made landfall on the east coast of America, mm-hmm. um, and for a good couple of hundred years. Um, what people would, attra- would, would attempt to do would, would be to get further and further west. Mm. The only prophet, uh, as in the religious sense of the word, um, who made this claim of the, the journey to the west being a religious one as opposed to an economic one or a quest for freedom or a quest for personal space, the only person I can think of who made this claim in a religious sense was Joseph Smith, um, mm. the, the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Mm. Um, who claimed to be a prophet and who claimed to have received prophecies that, that, that Canaan, the literal biblical promised land, was to the west of Chicago. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else in this song that makes me think of Mormonism. No. For me, it's just simple geography. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of like The Walking Dead, you know, mm. the TV show. Um. Am I stretching this out too far? It annoyed me even at the time, but when people talked about the protagonists in the Cold War, they inevitably used the expressions East and West. Now, I, I, um, I find metonyms to be... I, I dislike metonyms anyway. Um, there's something about it that sets my teeth on edge when people refer to as, for instance, the head of state of the United Kingdom as the crown. Or when people refer to the head of state of the United States of America as the White House, um, I, I, there's there's something that seems very chintzy, very overly decorative for no good reason about metonymy, mm-hmm. and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But here we are; we're stuck with these two things, and people refer to the two sides in the Cold War as the East and the West, um, and um, we were always led to believe, were we not, that we were the good guys. We were the West. We were the good. Or 
at the very least, the good guys were on our side. Mm-hmm. Industrial relations within the United Kingdom notwithstanding, the good guys apparently were on our side um, and um, they were going to win. Um, is there any part of that that's, that's, that's relevant, to, that's relevant to that thinking, do you think? Um, so, lies to the West... So you're suggesting that, um, that, that that's a really good point, Doc. So, so, so the bombs have, co- uh, have come in from Russia, basically, and destroyed America. And, 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 and so kind of like Western democracies, that, that's where the good guys live. Is that what you're saying? Um, well, yeah. I mean, it, um, so it, um, it reminds me of, I, I can't remember, it might be General Westmoreland. Um, it might not be, uh, where in the aftermath of the Tet Offensive and the Battle of Hue, um, someone was moved to say it became necessary to destroy Hue City in order to save it. I think it's, ju- I think it's just much more Stephen King than, than that, Dark. Yeah. Here the prophet made his guess, the paradox of, to join his quest for the sun. In my head... I'm seeing a, like a, a sequence in a Stephen King book. You've got, a, you, you know, you, you've got, you've got a house in the middle of wheat fields, and there's like a like a wise old black guy smoking a cigar, right, on a rocking chair. That's the fucking prophet man, and he's saying, and and the survivors of this terrible atrocity somehow end up there. And they believe him. They believe that he is some kind of prophet. And he just says to them, you know, head west. Just keep heading west. Yeah. And that's his advice. That's, I think, the image that Slayer are trying to put into our head is that, you know, just that kind of, that, that, that wisdom of the old... Not necessarily black character, but but, but you know the, the, the wisdom the wisdom of the aged elder. Um, this is really interesting. When you said um, you picked up shades of Stephen King in it, um, I, I I assumed that you were going to say that like the prophet was some terrible, like some awful, fearsome, like cult leader patriarch. No, no, no um, not in this case, I don't think. No, uh, it, it's it's just interesting, isn't it? When when people say things like what, um, I think I was possibly imagining the Lord Humongous from Mad Max Two. This is what it has come to. Look, Elder, they're coming back. Come on, move it. Here is where it shall be decided. Here it is. Greetings from the Humongous. In a world without gas. The Among Us rules the wasteland! I'm gravely disappointed that you wish to take the gasoline out of the wasteland. Defend the fuel. We'll never walk away! Give me the pump, the gasoline, the whole compound. This is a land that prays for a hero. Anyone's gonna get in there, it's gonna be you. Uh... This is Mad Max 2. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, what a reference, Doc. <laughs> <laughs>
but it, uh, Mad Max 2 breaks my heart because that's the one where one of the bad guys runs over Lizzie from Prisoner Cell Block H, Doc. It's, it's totally unacceptable. He used to give me roses I wish he could again But that was on the outside And things were different then No. <laughs> um, oh no. Yeah, no. I am um, assuming, um, since we've mentioned it, it's taken us a while, we'll get around to it. Since you've just referenced one iconically gay thing, I'm assuming this idea of um, traveling to the West is not a reference to the village people. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Listen, Doc, we 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 are running so long, and we've still got a shitload of lyrics to get through. I'm going to give you the next two to make things easy, and then you'll you you you'll, you'll play us out with the rest of the lyrics. Shades of death are all I see. Fragments of what used to be. I mean, beautiful, right, Doc? Yeah. Definitely. The world's lowest decay. Destruction fills my eyes. Harboring the image of a spiral divide. Murder waves release them fury, simulating judging jury. Slowly decays, destruction fills my eyes, harboring the image of a spiraling demise. Burning winds release their fury, simulating judge and jury, drifting flurries of pain. Deafening silence reigns as twilight fills the sky. Eventual supremacy, daylight waits to die. Darkness always calls my name, the pawn in this recurring game, humanity going insane. And then we're going to hit it's some stuff. Yeah, it's good. So, the, 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 obviously, that's when we hit the solos. Um, spiraling, a spiraling demise, like spiraling, as in like snowballing, like the chaos accelerating. Is that, is that what that means, Doc? There? Um, I think it's meant to um, put the image of a vortex. Like some kind of like tornado or. Again. Yeah. Um, so it, it's. The game um, points towards your idea that maybe it's something ecological and not nuclear yeah um a, a spiral and um, when you hit skid row like when when a person hits skid row really 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 badly um and you kind of spot that someone is on the endless and inevitable cycle through um, spiral, isn't it? Well, yeah addiction homelessness jail release 
addiction homeless. Then it, it's people call that the downward spiral, do they not? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Nine Inch Nails, I think, uh, famously have an album called that, don't they? Yeah, um, and uh, much more crudely, um, a spiral or a helix um, is the the shape that's on the shaft, um, the shaft of the screw. Um, so as you turn the screw, the spiral will drive. Um, and it, it's it's quite a nice metaphor for basically saying we're screwed. That's very good. Very good, Doc. I also thought about a spiral as in like Fibonacci's number. You know, so, so you've yeah. got um, you know, the spiral of, the, of a snail shell. Um, there, 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 there are plenty of examples of leaves, aren't there, with kind of spirals in them. Yes. Fibonacci's number occurs frequently in nature so um fibonacci's number is also the progression of a fission reaction as well i don't know whether we're crediting slayer with a bit too much nuclear physics than they may actually actually. i wondered doc because i was gonna i was gonna go on to make that point and also the fact that if the spiral the fibonacci sequence is imbued in nature by default is this not the automatic end consequence of humanity's existence yeah and i mean this is um it's not quite slayer cosmology um if you're talking about this stuff i i I, um i'm when this kind of stuff crops up in lyrics i'm always reminded of the bit from the communist manifesto where uh, mark says um, capitalist society has the seeds of its own destruction embedded within it. Mm-hmm. So, um, if we are being urged to make this this, this cosmological connection between um, the shape of a snail shell and a, a numerical pattern that occurs in um, cell division um, and occurs in all of the things that are necessary to create life, mm-hmm. why would you not expect the same pattern? to be evident going backwards in something which destroys all life. Sure. Yeah. I love this line, simulating judge and jury. That's brilliant, isn't it, Doc? Yeah. Um, And then we've got this followed on with a little bit maybe of Slayer Mildless drifting flurries. Just that word flurry. I'm not quite sure if that's strong enough, Doc. Um, when you think of flurries, you, you, you always imagine like odd little clouds of snow. It's snow, isn't it? it like a snow flurry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you always sort of um, imagine a, a, a flurry of snow, um, like um, alighting on the head of a, 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 um, an adorable little girl, don't you? Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, possibly leaving one snowflake on the very end of her nose. Oh, oh God bless her. God bless her. <laughs> jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Yeah, well, it's, it's, that, it's that time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I've got, I've, I've, I must stop singing. Um, go on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the last... The last lines now, and we'll, and we'll see what we can extract from it.
Uh, minutes seem like days. Corrosion fills the sky. Morbid dreams of anarchy brought judgment in disguise. Memories linger in my brain. Life with nothing more to gain. Perpetual madness remains. And then finally, shades of death are all I see. Skeletons of society. Fragments of what used to be skeletons of society. Yeah. Doc, I mean, it, 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 is it just, just blinding the obvious? It, it, it is just about like, like a nuclear winter, isn't it, basically? Um, there's one of my favourite lines in Slayer coming up here. Um, Morbid dreams of anarchy brought, brought judgment in disguise. I could probably spend another half an hour talking about these two lines, which I won't. Well, if you, let, me tell, if let, you me, let me tell you, Doc, hang on, before, before, you, before you corrupt my thoughts with your intelligence, here's what I wrote next to those lines. Morbid dreams of anarchy, my note was, where did the, where did the anarchists come from and what did they want to do? Brought, brought judgment in disguise. So, who detonated the bomb? Here are my kind of answers. Mm. If you're a bit of a poser, if you're a bit of a punk rocker, if you think you're a bit of a rebel, um, you've probably used the word anarchist to describe yourself at least once. You've probably painted that A in a circle sign on a subway wall or on the back of your leather jacket or something like that. Um, is that what you want? Are you absolutely fucking sure that you want a complete absence of law? You're right. Yes. Yeah. Um, because the next time you want to go to the 7-Eleven and buy your six-pack of Coca-Cola, it might not be there, mate. Yeah. Um, and obviously, judgment, um, a judge is the ultimate authority figure and judgment is the ultimate process of authority, um, is as far from anarchy, is as far from your dreams of anarchy as you can get. Um, you had the chance to usher in the age of anarchy or the age of panic, or um, the age of mistrust, <clears throat> all of that good stuff. <clears throat> but all you got was judgment in disguise. Um, you actually, what you ended up with was a far sterner authority than the teachers or the police or your parents. The authority that you've now brought yourself under the judgment of is the very cruel, harsh and unforgiving one of survival of the fittest and the war of all against all. And mm -hmm. where the fuck are you going to get something to eat now? Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah, it, it, it's you know we we you know we live in a a society, I suppose. You know, and for better or worse, I can go and buy food. My house is heated, um, but there are things that make me cross about it. I've experienced one tonight with the fucking police bullying somebody um, for not wearing a mask, which made me furious. Um, but, you know, would I, would I trade in that comfort and security for... The thing is, you've got, um, at the moment, at least you've got a rational actor to be cross at. Yeah. What are you going to do? Be cross at the cold? Be cross uh -huh. at the crop? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what are you going to do? Be, uh, be, be cross at your aching, empty belly? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, because um, you can get as cross as you like at those things, but they ain't going to pay attention to you, and they certainly aren't going to offer you any reform or concession. Mm, you're right, Doc. It, it, it's a really, really great point. So the judgment in disguise, the in disguise bit is, it, 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 it's almost like they weren't expecting it, isn't it, really? Well, um, 
in the disguise of anarchy, in the disguise of liberation, um, you have ushered in something that's far more authoritarian and far more despotic than any actual human government made of people. Um, because there's the possibility that in the most despotic government, you might find one tiny atom of mercy or forgiveness. Um, but the cold, starving, blighted war of, war of all against all that you find yourself in now will never offer any mercy or forgiveness or yeah. kindness. Yeah, yeah. Defund the police, man, you know. Yep, those people need to have <laughs> a little bit of a think, don't they, I suppose. Um, anything else to say, Doc, on these words, or should we, should we get to our final thoughts? Um, shades of death. What do you make of this word, shades of death? Um, um, that makes me think of potentially they are referencing the nuclear bombs of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. What do you think about that, Doc? We've talked, we, we talked about that a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, we did. Uh, a shade is a kind of ghost or a wraith, isn't it? Yeah. Um, is this a... a is this a bit of Slayer cosmology here? Is this the is, is this the invocation of the literal spirit of death, the real, actual Grim Reaper? No, I, I, I think this is the survivor of the... Because I do think this is a song about nuclear war, not kind of a, like an ecological disaster. Um, so I think, I think it is the survivor of the blast, seeing those kind of ghastly silhouettes on the walls basically that's the shade of death for me um the other thing i wanted to suggest are um are the are the shades of death are the um a, a shade is a, a a pitiful skeletal semi-transparent simulacrum of a thing that used to be alive isn't it mm -hmm. um the shades of death in this context are are, are these the actual survivors it could also be, I mean, it, it, if you want to invoke the Slayer cosmology, you know, the, 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 the shade of your former self is, you know, if you're a shade of your former self, you are not doing as well as you did in the past. Yeah. You, you're presenting yourself as well as you did in the past. Um, so shades of death could be, you know, the... the the soldiers, the ghosts of war, yes, kind of being resurrected, and but now there is no war to fight, so they are kind of a shade of their former self. Yeah, a shade of the death that's already occurred, effectively. Now I, I know we're putting a lot of words in brackets around it, but just for the no, no, that's a, I mean, clearly no one's ever going to give us a definitive answer. So mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing wrong with, with discussing everything we can think of. Mm. Um, and I think it's interesting. Um, I like to be able to get a little bit of the, the Slayer cosmology. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's a really haunting image that once again, um, the zombie skeletal Nazis with glowing green skin rise from their graves, except, as you said, there is no longer a war to fight. There's no war to fight. And in fact, you could even, you could go one step further. Those terrible silhouettes from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 
you know, the, the soldiers could, the shades could emerge from those, yeah. to, to, you know, to kind of live and fight once more. I also want to bring up the Slayer cosmology because I want to try to leaven the atmosphere a little bit because this has turned into a real fucking downer, hasn't it? <laughs> well, it, 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 it's a grim subject, man. What, what, what are we meant to do? Blame Slayer, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm almost trying to think, man, I can't wait till we do another episode about the Holocaust or about a serial killer or about you know, something a bit more cheerful. I know, yeah. True. Doc, should we um, should we wrap it pronounce. up? Pronounce. Get into our final thoughts. Let's pronounce. Welcome to part four of the show. Here we're just going to offer our final thoughts and summations. Uh, writing credits, music by Mr. Kerry King and lyrics by Mr. Kerry King. So this is a King jam all the way through, Doc. According to set list, this was played 122 times, putting it in joint 51st position alongside Scrum, a track that we are yet to get to, Doc. So don't worry if you don't know what that is. Um, first play. Well, have a guess, Doc. First play. Um, that would be the chance at Poughkeepsie, New York. Correct. Um, last play, October the 21st, 2010. Uh, somebody called somewhere called the Gibbons Amphitheater. Universal City, California. Now, we talked about Universal City before. I was dead excited thinking that was some city I never heard of. But you're just telling me that's fucking Universal Studios theme park. Yeah, it's just a theme park, mate. Um, I would have liked it best if it had been played at the Gibbon Enclosure at uh, <laughs> Universal. Um, <laughs> or at least something involving actual gibbons. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely brilliant. According to Loudwire, uh, they put Skeleton Society in 22nd position. Um, <laughs> oh, God, the word Gibbon is funny. <laughs> He's off. Go on, go on. Get it out, get it out of your system. But, uh, uh, just, we can move on. The word Gibbon is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. not as funny as the word baboon. But <laughs> There's a great bit in um, One Put in the Grave where... They say I might as well face the truth But I am just too long in the tooth So I'm an OAB and weak mean But I'm not yet quite gone to see I may be over the hill now that I have retired Fading away but I'm not yet expired Clapped out, run down, too old to save One foot in the grave <laughs> I knew when Victor gets sexually molested by a chimp. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. The kid got laugh about monkey sometimes, and we can't explain why. Um, according to Loudwire, here's what they say. They put it in 22nd position overall, um, invoking images of worldwide hellish destruction and the smouldering remains of mankind's past Skeletons of society find Slayer confidently striding along at a menacing rhythmic stomp. Gleaming lead work pierces the acrid atmosphere in the transitional phases of the song, like smoke billing upward, painting the skyline of the forlorn world. I mean, beautifully written. And, and, and mm. yeah, absolutely 
Absolutely correct. Yeah. And then and then for you to say, Doc, I must be honest, I am now so drunk, I literally don't know what's happening. So let's, let's get this done, Doc, before, before I break my laptop. It's a great track. It's a great, great, great track. Um, and um, something we'll come back to next week. How the hell did Kerry King sometimes gets a good at writing lyrics. We spoke two or three episodes ago. Was it Spirit in Black? Did he write the yes. lyrics for that? And yeah. the, lift, the, 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 the elevation in quality in the writing. Now, some of it was funny, undoubtedly, but the, the, the lifting quality in his writing is marked. Now, I think... I think he went away and, and made an effort and took some courses or something. Yeah. Because he's, he has spoken candidly about the fact that when they came to do South of Heaven, he was in a real writer's block, both musically and lyrically. And so I, I think, and, 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 and fair play to the guy, I think he went away and actively kind of sought some kind of tuition or counselling or assistance of some kind. And my God, it's paid off. It really, really has. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only tiny clue that this is a Kerry King song at all is that mm. one, that one tiny bit of an intentional mildness. Yeah, drifting fluffies of pain or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, the flurries. Yeah, the flurries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, other than that, it's impossible to recognise from the barely literate. Of the previous four albums. I assumed, I did not know, my assumption was the music was by Hanneman and the lyrics were by Tom Araya. That was my assumption before I sure. um, Anyway, I, I, I think it's time for us to uh, to give our final scores, don't you? Go on the dock. How many, how many swords of liquescence are you pronouncing on this fine evening, sir? Eight. Now, here's the thing, here's the thing, dear listener. I always write my number down in the spreadsheet of doom before the doc tells me, and I have also given it eight mouldering mo skulls out of ten. That's what I said, Doc. I think I like this song better than you thought I did. Well, let's see how people get along with this. Um, I think you liked it as much as you thought that you liked it all along, but I got the impression that you liked it a bit less than I liked it, so I thought I liked it more than you. Oh, Doc, my head is about to explode. Not, <laughs> I'm not interested in what you're not saying. It's not that I'm not interested in what you're not doing. It's just that I'm not interested in, in what you're not about to not do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and on that note, shall we say night night? Look, I think it's best that you finish this episode because it is true that over the last twenty minutes, the the little dram of whiskey that I've that I've drank has had a, a very detrimental effect. Doc, can you can you close the episode out for us, please? Yeah. So thank you very much for uh, for being with us um, this this week. Um, Quite soon, around about Christmas time, it's going to come upon a very, very sad moment for me because we're going to get to the end of the, the fourth Slayer album. 
um, which means all of the Slayer that I knew and loved um, will be coming to an end. Fifth, Doc, fifth. We'll get letters. It's the fifth. Of course it is. Um, How could I... And since we included um, Haunting the Chapel as a release in its own right, we might even say sixth. Fifth album, sixth release. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In any case, we're coming to the end of The Slayer That I Know, and it's virgin territory for me. Mm. Um, And that's going to happen within this year. Um, Next week, what track is it next week? Next week, we're going to be doing... um, Temptation. After I've looked, Doc, I would say, um, I, I, you know, cards to my chest. I, I, I want to do what I think of it, but I think the, 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 this track is one that never, ever gets mentioned in any kind of Slayer discussion. Sure. And next week we'll find out why. 